Hi, you're now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. We're happy to bring you sermons like this one every week. You can find other sermons at our site at harvest-community.org. So without further ado, here's our speaker. Yes, it was an ordinary birth, but an extraordinary hope was proclaimed over this little boy. The angel told Mary, you are to give him the name Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Such great expectations for the newborn baby, Jesus. The humble birth of Jesus reveals something about the heart of the father who sent him. The father didn't send his son to reign with earthly might and power, but instead to begin a revolution of love. This little child's life will be marked by love. Tender, compassionate, strong, faithful, humble love. From the day of his birth and every day since, the life and love of Jesus Christ would change people's lives forever. This Christmas, no matter how young or how old you are, Let each one of us embrace the Christ child once again. As we remember the birth of our Savior, may we remember the great, humble love of our God, who has spared no expense. And time and time again, he proves his tender, compassionate, unfailing love for each one of us. Let's pray together. God, you have given us such great joy this day by fulfilling your promise of redemption. For this, we have come to offer thanks. And we confess too often that we have let our own thoughts and plans become so important that we have not given time or attention to you. For this, we ask for your forgiveness. Sweep out of our hearts the things that keep us from you and help us to joyfully embrace your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us to understand more fully how great, how unending is your love for us. And God, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to help us demonstrate your love in our lives so that those around us may know you and your Son you've sent. Bless us today as we receive Christ once again into our hearts and our homes. Bless us as we look ahead with hope to the day when Christ will come again in glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Psalm 98. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blasts of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. Psalm 8. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what are mere mortals that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned them with glory and honor. You have made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. For the second part of our service, we'd like to focus on Christ as Savior. We'll be reading from Isaiah 53, Matthew 1, and Colossians 2. (coughs) Who Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is a reading from Isaiah chapter 53, verses 7 to 12. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter. As a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? 
for he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though our Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Matthew 1, 18 through 32. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. According to Wikipedia, on the night before a large battle in Shakespeare's Henry V, the king decided to disguise himself and walk among his soldiers. He wanted to comfort them, but he also wanted to know what they were feeling about him in general. When we read these passages here, we realize when the scripture says that God is with us, Emmanuel, it means more than Jesus walked among us. Because we all know that you can walk with someone and not really be with them. But when the scripture says God with us, it means that Jesus not only walked among us, he walked with us. It's a matter of being with us. And even though this makes sense, the greater realization is what did Jesus truly give up in order to walk with us in our mess? To realize that Jesus was in heaven, seated on the throne, worshipped 24-7 by angels, proclaiming his greatness and his goodness. To say, I am willing to give it all up, to turn to his father and say, take it, take it all. I give everything. And then to walk among us is absolutely amazing. To think that if our leaders today were to walk among us and to give everything, not to talk about us as a people that they care for, but to actually care for us, to walk with us, to be with us, 
to care for us, to see that our needs are met, would astound us. But to comprehend that the very God who created the heavens and the earth, the very God who sustains the very creation that he made, to actually think that he was with us in our mess, is to begin to comprehend what Christmas really means. That where we might see ourselves as insignificant, to think that he is who he who is most significant would step down from greatness to be with us. And not just to be with us because he didn't need information like Henry needed information, but to actually be with us for a reason. As the scripture that we just read says, that he came to save us from our sin. He came to set us free. More than William Wallace in Braveheart screaming, freedom, as they took his life, we as followers of Jesus can sing and scream the same thing, that we have freedom in Christ by being adopted into his family, by becoming a part of his family in Christ who has shed his blood and redeemed us and wiped all of our sin away. In Christ, by the power of the Spirit, sealing this transaction that God has fulfilled, we can say freedom. We can say freedom from our past, the sin that we struggle with, that which we have committed and that which has been committed against us. Even in the present as we struggle with so many things and think to ourselves, God, I am such a mess. How can you love me? When I do so much against you, many times willingly. And to think that one day all our pain and suffering will be removed and that we will be free because Jesus has come to save us from our sin. In our mess, in our ugliness, in the things that we know that are wrong, and yet continue to do. God the Father says that Christ is with you and that he has come to set you free from your sins. And what we see is a love that is extravagant and unconditional and that wraps itself around us and says, you are mine. It's not just a matter of God stepping down from eternity and entering into our lives, but entering into our lives for a reason to take away our sin and make us free. With the ability to leave here today with a heart filled with the Spirit, knowing that Jesus is our Savior, past, present, and future, and that nothing can separate us. From the love of God in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> this is the this is God's word from Colossians chapter two, verses nine through fifteen. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head, over every power and authority. 
In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with the circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code and its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing, triumphing over them by the cross. I'd like to close this movement with just a brief reflection. And I want to give you the idea of being a teabag, which usually sits in that water and soaks. And I want us just to soak even just the last phrase, triumphing. Triumphing, freedom. And so if you need to just simply reflect and say, Lord, I thank you that you have triumphed through the cross and I am free. And just say that over and over again, feel free to do so. If you want to reflect on anything else where Jesus has given us this freedom and saved us from our sins, we'll just give you a few minutes before we move into the third movement. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for sending your Son. Jesus, we thank you for your willingness to surrender all, to walk among us, and to die. Not to stay there, but to rise and ascend into heaven that we might be free and not just free from our sin, but free to know you fully and completely. And now though we may look in a mirror dimly, we wait for the day when we will see you face to face and all the pain and the sorrow and the suffering and the tears will be wiped away. Now fathers, we continue to straggle and struggle in our lives We ask, Spirit, Holy Spirit, be a presence in our lives that we might remember that in Christ you have triumphed and we are free. Amen. This is Isaiah 9, 2 through 7. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged a nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning will be fuel for the fire. 
For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. We call Jesus Savior and Lord. And the two titles that we give him seem to roll off our tongues like they're just one word, Jesus, Savior and Lord. But if we're really honest about it, We don't always feel the same way about both of those titles that Jesus is given. We tend to receive Jesus, the Savior, enthusiastically like a great blessing, a gift to us. We needed saving and someone has saved us. And that is considered good news by by most people. It doesn't come as naturally, though, to respond to Jesus, the King, with the same kind of enthusiasm. I think like King Herod, though we would not go so far as to hunt down a baby and put him to death, we feel threatened by the idea of anybody being king over us. That's probably one of the hardest things to overcome in coming to Jesus, is the idea that all my life until Jesus, I have been my own king, and now another seeks to be king over me. We may consider Jesus the Savior to be good news, but often we consider Jesus the King to be a necessary burden we have to pay, to carry, in order to get the benefits of a Savior. I think it's always right to worry when anybody wants to have absolute authority over you, especially when that person is not righteous, is not holy, is untrustworthy. But here's the good news. Jesus, our King is always good. He's always kind. 
He is always loving and he's always merciful. He will not rule over us in a way that harms us, but it is one of the greatest blessings in life to meet and to come under the authority of a good king. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said, and you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them here. If anyone asks what you are doing, just say, The Lord needs them, and he will immediately send them. This was done to fulfill the prophecy. Tell the people of Israel, Look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, even on a donkey's colt. Revelation 11, 15 through 17. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. When we call Jesus our king, we have to remember that this king has a kingdom and that he's building the greatest kingdom we have ever seen in this world. It's a kingdom where righteousness and justice and love and mercy, all things we care about, all things that are in very short supply in the world around us, it's a kingdom where those things are the rule rather than the exception. It's a kingdom where when you hope The hope is rewarded and not shattered on the ground. It's a kingdom that we see a lot of already here on the earth, but it's a kingdom that's going to last forever and ever. Every other kingdom that ever came to being will fade away one day, but this kingdom will never end. To acknowledge Jesus as our king is to accept an invitation to live in this great kingdom rather than in the dark and shattered world of the kingdom around us. It is to invite his total authority over our lives because it is through that authority over us that God will provide to us all the things he intends. He will protect us. He'll guide us. He'll provide for us, and he'll give us our life's purpose, but all in the context of an authority which is recognized in Jesus alone. Apart from that authority, you and I will not ever fully know what it means to be a Christian and to enjoy all the benefits of a life in that kingdom. Here's the good news. Jesus does not intend to intimidate us and rule us from far away. And that's why he came to us as a child and he bore all the indignities of human frailty. Jesus doesn't intend to ask us for a lot and offer us very little. And that's why he gave up everything in order to be called Savior. And Jesus doesn't intend to rule over our lives in a way that ruins our lives, but in a way that builds up our lives. And that's why he has the right to be called King. But bear this in mind also. His kindness 
does not make him weak. He's not a king to be casually dismissed or disregarded or negotiated with. Jesus is a mighty king in power, and he is a warrior king. He commands us for our good, but he means to be obeyed. To stand on the right side of Jesus the king is to be truly blessed. And to be found on the wrong side against Jesus the king is to forfeit everything that is good. One day, every human being who has ever lived will bow and acknowledge who Jesus is. But sadly for a great many, that acknowledgement will come too late. Here is the invitation of Christmas to recognize that God sent not only a Savior, but a great and awesome King to direct our lives, to give shape to our lives, to set us truly free, even from ourselves. This is good news. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Bow with me. Let's pray together. Lord, around Christmas time, our most common image of you is that of a helpless baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And we stand amazed to think that you did enter humanity just like all of us did. No shortcuts, no sparing of the weakness and indignity of birth. But we also pray this morning that our lingering image of you will not be of a helpless infant or someone weakened because of softness. But in every way you demonstrated true strength and true power. Many have thumped their chests, puffed themselves up, but you demonstrate for us what real power looks like. And you have earned the right to be king over everything. And so we pray together that as you draw us towards you, you will draw us in as your subjects, receiving the invitation to live in this great kingdom and recognizing you as the greatest king that ever was. May our lives find meaning as we worship you as king. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, 
check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.